0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Today I'm just going to offer a few reflections on um, noticing the spaces between, noticing the absences in our experience, in our minds, in a good way. When I've traveled in Britain and other places, whenever boarding a subway or a train, often the um, announcement will come to mind the gap, mind the gap between the platform and the train. It's this space, right? And it's a safety message. But it has kind of a resonance for me in meditation as well. Minding the gap between the sort of platform, foundation of our awareness, of our mind, and the trains of thought that can be moving through, can be really powerful. That little space, that little gap. So there's a significance to these ordinary moments in our lives of absence, whether it's the absence between two sounds when you're meditating or just listening to the soundscape around you, or the absence, the void moment between two thoughts, or an absence of preoccupation, of busyness, of leaning forward or leaning back. And um, to continue a little bit with some of the theme I did last week, there's a very um, renowned teacher in the Thai forest tradition, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, carrier of the Buddha. He died quite some time ago, but he was highly influential in Thai forest tradition Buddhism. And he was quite a thinker and a sort of dharmologian, if I can coin that phrase, <laughs> theologian, dharmologian. He talked about how these little Absences, these little moments of not much arising, he called them voidnesses. I'm not going to attempt the tie, are helpful at all levels of practice. They're helpful in profound, kind of deep meditation. And they're also helpful in ordinary daily life and in our relationships. In fact, he said that if we didn't experience these little moments of void, absence throughout the day in our minds that most of us never even notice but if we didn't know if we didn't experience them we would probably go mad because it would just be there would just be too much stimulation all the time it's part of a natural rhythm of our minds of our experience it's kind of like if um, physicists say if there was no space in our bodies our bodies would be very, very dense and very, very tiny, very contracted, right? Well, it's like that when there's no space in our minds. We get really, really contracted. The mind gets really contracted, right? You can even see this fist I'm making. The heart can get contracted if we're too focused on all the activity rather than taking moments to appreciate, notice the spaces between. So, void or absent of what? So it can be a simple experience of, you know, phenomena, of thought, of input, of talking, of planning, remembering, whatever. And there's another kind of voidness or Emptiness, it's sometimes called. Buddhadasa didn't like that translation. It's what is absent? The nature of the absence, the void that can also be important. And one of the most helpful kinds of absences on the journey to peace, well-being, is a voidness of imputation of ourselves into everything we experience. In other words, not projecting me as the center of or sole comparison point for everything I see, everything I touch, everything I think about, everything I experience. That's one form of this absence. Another form of it is to be empty of, void of objectifying. This can be objectifying through bias, racial bias, or gender bias, or gender orientation bias. This can be void of an agenda. My agenda. There was this study done. um, Actually, it wasn't a study. I'm thinking of um, many, many years ago. I did a summer kind of program at Harvard. It was in sort of conflict resolution type stuff. And um, the teachers talk, they teach a lot about perception and sort of noticing what you notice when you walk into a room. And they would have people intentionally, very shortly after arriving into the sort of seminar room they were in, um, ask if they felt like they'd noticed what was important and, and people would say yes. And um did you notice everything? Oh yeah, sure. I noticed. How many ceiling tiles are on the ceiling? She said, the teacher, Sheila Heen said that in like 15 years of teaching this course, exactly one person knew the answer to that question. And he was a former ceiling technician and it was just his habit to know that like, he noticed every room he walked into how many ceiling tiles there were. So we're kind of like that. Whatever our minds have been conditioned to notice by what we've decided is important is what we notice, is what we privilege when we walk into a room or a new situation. So, to be void of agenda isn't just being void of a specific agenda that I have for this meeting or I have for this project or whatever it is. It's also implies a certain kind of openness, a lack of fixation. Based on all of the conditioning we've already had, or since that's a tall order, noticing that fixation, noticing those predispositions to be like, oh, what else is here? What else might be helpful? Or what might be helpful to set down to make a connection with myself or others or this situation? All these kinds of absences that I'm talking about allow for a more restful experience, an experience in which love and wisdom, connection can flow much more easily and clearly. It's a kind of healthy not knowing. Not knowing, the Zen Buddhists talk about not knowing. It's not an ignorance, it's an openness, even to ignorance. This kind of noticing the absence, the voidness, is also a respect for the empty spaces, the spaces between the resting moments in our lives. It's also a respect for the flux, the inconstancy, the change that's happening, and the interdependencies, all the different conditions that flow to form a particular moment or change. So it's settling back, stepping into this kind of noticing, this kind of absence, can create a quality of refuge, restfulness, that's similar to and the Thai forest tradition and other contemporary insight meditation tradition teachers talk about it being contiguous with leading towards sometimes even blending with the awakened quality. Awakening freedom itself. As Ajahn Chah quoted him as saying last week, to look to the Buddha within. And by the Buddha within, he means the natural awake and aware quality of the mind that is not sort of swayed, caught up in whatever we are seeing, feeling, noticing. That quality can be subtle and it's kind of always there. Look for it by definition. If you're alive, if you're looking for it, awareness is there. So, These absences, noticing these absences can be nourishing. It can flip us out of not-so-helpful mind states or just sort of busyness, right? And invite us to come home to something really precious within, to choose to deeply, deeply trust our own experienced moments of peace, insight. Awakening. And they don't have to be big, grandiose moments. It can just be, ah, there was suffering happening and now it's not. It's absent. Even for a moment, even in profound grief or pain, there are often these voidnesses, these absences. And they can be places to rest. Of course... Most of us, when we look within with mindfulness, awareness, it's not our first experience to notice the gaps, right? The first thing most people notice when they start to be quiet, myself included, is all the surface chatter. One of my teachers, I think I did this last week, used to call it, yada, 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 blah blah, blah blah, yada, 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 blah, blah." It just it's ongoing, right? And that's normal. Our minds do that, especially if they've been revved up by contemporary life or a lot of engagement or some problem, right? So to liken that to kind of the surface chop of the waves in the ocean. But the deeper you get, the quieter the water is. Eventually there's no wave motion at all. And there's certainly no surface chop. And the beautiful thing about cultivating a regular practice over years as noticing these moments of absence, noticing these moments of awareness actually can flip the mind into that state very quickly, just for a second. Like Buddha Dasa said, those absences, those seconds, they all add up and they provide this spaciousness, allowing within the day, even when very busy, one of my first educators, as I was becoming a chaplain, sort of used a very different language around this. She was a Unitarian. She used to talk about taking a moment at the threshold of the next encounter. And by that, she meant pausing, pausing before we walked through the doorway into another room and just taking a moment to be in the doorway. Nothing's happening in that moment. And that kind of cleared everything away and allowed the heart, the mind to be receptive, present with that person, with that world. Because in a hospital, each room has a different world in it. It's kind of true in life too, right? So instead of listening to that chatter, it's possible to turn the attention to the quietude. And this opens this kind of deeper wellspring within, whether it's receptivity, simplicity, equanimity, wisdom, compassion, love, whatever it is, even just rest, relief. And there's a surrender, a certain kind of trust that's available in that absence, in that knowing itself. This is a way of stepping into now, the now. Our bodies are always here now. Our minds are really good at going elsewhere. This now, it can become kind of timeless. We stop and listen to it, be there. This kind of absence in the now can be a still point that exists within each changing moment. Perhaps you've tasted this in your own practice, or in life. It's like if there's something really intense, really fast-paced happening, sometimes time seems to slow down. It's malleable. And complete presence can really shift our experience the way time even works. There's a story, um, this is from a yogi on retreat many years ago, beautiful outdoor setting. And this person had had a very difficult interaction with someone important to them right before the retreat. Maybe lasted into the retreat some. And they um, were just kind of looped on it it's a way it can happen sometimes in meditation just the thoughts keep happening the mental suffering keeps happening and um they kept noticing it and noticing it and noticing it and then they were outside walking this beautiful natural area and it was one of those partially cloudy days and at that moment the clouds parted and the sun came and their mind was distracted just long enough to look at the gap between the clouds and the blue sky. And in that moment of attention moving elsewhere, to that little gap between those clouds, they also saw a gap in the ill will, the delusion, the pain that was cycling through their minds, the greed. And that was enough to open things up into insight. So this can happen, you know, a person, I don't remember how many days they were into retreat when this conversation happened, like at least a week. It can happen and be extremely consequential if there's a lot of sort of settledness already built up. And this happens every day, this getting caught in something, not happy, and then there we are, free of it. But the noticing is what's helpful. Oh. Was in pain, now not in pain. Wow. And that starts to educate the mind into what it feels like. It's the noble truth of the absence of suffering, suffering and the absence of suffering. So this cultivation process includes noticing And appreciating any little voids, absences, moments of peace and calm. It can happen at any level. It doesn't have to be big like it was for this person where it provoked insight or grandiose. It's just about the noticing. Noticing. The other form of gap I talked about that most of us can notice at most times is between things. Right? between an in-breath and an out-breath, between one sound and another. Perhaps between one preoccupation settles, noticing the gap between one and another concept. All of these start to gather and build a certain kind of beautiful momentum that may not even be noticeable. It can unfold over weeks, months, years, or even moments but the noticing. All it takes is the noticing to start to rest in the now. Because it takes a certain kind of trust of that resting to let go of leaning forward into the future or getting lost in the past. Trusting that the space, the simplicity within each moment is there, offers an openness, an openness from the walls that busyness can build inside of you and the walls that it can build between each other. So when I'm talking about ordinary moments, I'm talking about, you know, at the bus bus stop or between phone calls or between emails and also
1: between people
0: for all of us have had the experience of being so preoccupied that we walk right by someone we know about seeing them,
1: right? Maybe at a little bit of a distance or whatnot.
0: Or conversely, the experience of being very present and being open to connection with someone we barely know that can cause a mutual smile or a laugh or joy. It's that absence, that Voidness of preoccupation, the internal state of busyness opens
1: that possibility, that connection.
0: The same with ourselves, right? I can be so caught up in my agenda about what I need to get done that I can override myself. Or from attending, trusting a little bit more. Oh, good time to take a break. I don't need to eat that fill in the blank, or maybe I don't need to spend the next 10 minutes on the computer. Maybe I can take a walk. All of these, all of these forms of appreciating space, absence, are onward leading in practice.
1: So, I've been talking a lot about it and not as much in how to access it.
0: There are many different ways. Formal meditation is super helpful. Even informally, sincere interest in
1: what's happening now. That is incredibly
0: helpful. It can move our minds into a kind of a healthy not-knowing, a gap. The questions I talked
1: about last week, are you aware? Where are you aware right now? What's obvious? And then if the mind is really caught, am I sure this story is true? Am I sure?
0: there's the sureness of emotional, and then there's the sureness of rationality, right? Our heart might be 100% sure that this opinion is true. There may not be any countervailing evidence, any evidence to support it. In fact, the evidence may be in the other direction. To just inject a little
1: bit of healthy uncertainty. All of this is beginning
0: to attune to a kind of openness, an absence of struggle, an absence of being limited by stories, reactivity, planning. That are such powerful habits of mind
1: and can be set down as the trust grows in what's in between them. It's also really helpful to recognize that just as these absences
0: are natural and sort of ever present, so too is ignorance and the habit of looking at our own thoughts and not looking at them in a mindful way, but being caught in them. Even judgment is natural. And it's so helpful not to beat oneself up about it. We all, we all think and feel things that we aren't. so proud of. I think I quoted him last week, even the, the current Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama on many occasions has basically talked about how If he looks in his mind, it's still up to its old tricks, right? There's still greed. There's still ill will. There's still delusion. There's still selfishness, whatnot. The difference is the seeing of it, the lightness around it, the space around it.
1: He laughs at it now. It's beautiful,
0: right? That kind of lightness. Support all levels of practice, especially daily life practice with other people. I have um,
1: an ongoing commitment to seeing
0: and waking up from my own limiting sense of identity or assumptions. Right? And this can happen at many, many levels, but it's the commitment To the seeing it shifts it to something that is no longer some kind of toxic or damning observation about me that would like persist. Instead, it's a seeing of, oh, that's there. So much better to see it than to have it running the show, right? So much better. Whether it's a bias or a reactivity or whatever, to see. To see clearly. That's the instructions the Buddha gave. Not to flagellate ourselves and beat ourselves up, but to see it clearly.
1: And to trust that then
0: our minds will right themselves. Slowly discernment. And this is really powerful in seeing biases or projections about others. And seeing others without
1: The filter of judgment can transform our relationship with them, right? It can be
0: really powerful. Really powerful. Everyone wants to be received in a way without the other person's judgments being a box in which they're put,
1: right? And again, That is a moment in time. I might not be able to um,
0: completely overcome the story I've built about a person, and I can set it aside and meet them human to human in this moment with real presence, real attention, complete attention. And that allows something
1: else, something else to connect between us. beneath the stories and projections
0: beneath the conditioned identities we have each of us simply are right our hearts our eyes our ears our nose our
1: bodies each of us trying in our own way to be happy so in this way of of allowing contact with each person each moment
0: to be as forthright, as absent of my own agenda or foibles as possible, then each person, each moment, each interaction kind of becomes
1: a teacher in a way.
0: There's a famous story. I'm sure most of, not all of you have heard this before that on the eve of the Buddha's enlightenment, he was sitting under the Bodhi tree and the army of Mara, Mara being the kind of antithesis of Buddha in the ancient teachings, Mara literally translates as death, the death force, the life-denying force. So the forces of Mara are coming to try to defeat him, to stop him from awakening in this myth. And at one point, there's this pitched battle where arrows are launched at the Buddha. And because he sees the attack for what it is, the arrows transform into flowers. Harmless, beautiful. As a myth, this contains such a powerful little nugget of wisdom that turning towards those very forces in the mind, which might... Operate as delusion or steal energy or be the pinch of judgment. We can just say, oh, I see you. I see you. In the classic teaching, it's I see you.
1: And that, that trusting the seeing itself and the knowing and what's helpful and what isn't, that transforms whatever is happening into wisdom. This is possible when knowing, trusting, being aware of the spaces in between. Those spaces are what allow a judgment to be seen as a judgment, as information, as an opinion, as conditioned, as empty, rather than an edict of what is true forever. So remember, remember to trust, appreciate the simplicity of space, absence, voidness, as best you can. This helps relaxing
0: into a certain kind of openness. And there, there's a kind of lightness, a kind of freedom that's available in simple and ordinary ways in every moment. And occasionally in extraordinary
1: ways as well. thank you. Thank you for your kind attention. And I have a few moments for questions, comments. I will pause the recording. I'd
0: like to offer um, a practice that's been helpful for me for those of you who are more visually oriented, and this isn't of a daily life practice, um, you have to have your eyes open for this one. I like it while walking. I think I've talked about it in this group before. That is to very intentionally notice the space around the objects that you are seeing, just like we were talking about a couple moments ago. And, um, for example, if you're walking through a forest, you can even notice the sky above and around the whole forest. And then to notice the spaces between between you and whatever, for example, the trees, or between you and the screen, or between you and the image of me.
1: Notice those spaces. And then turn the gaze inward. Noticing whatever spaces are within, between breaths, between sensations, between thoughts. And this can be done
0: sort of as a three-part sequence of going on a walk, being in a waiting room, wherever, and just to notice the effect
1: on your heart you Any last thoughts before I lead us in dedicating the merit? So, may you all, may we all, rest in the
0: nourishment of little voids, little absences, spaces throughout our days throughout our minds and hearts,
1: our lives. And may we, each of us, carry that sense of simplicity, absence of preconceived notion and gender as a quality we can offer as a gift to ourselves and other people. May all beings everywhere Experience the benefits of our practice. May all beings everywhere be safe, peaceful, and free.